0: Hello, you're listening to audio from First Church Butler. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit butlerfumc.com and connect with us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at First Church Butler. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among the people of unclean lips
1: It is good to be with you in worship today. Uh, some of you I, some of you may remember that I am Pastor Barbara Storr, and I was uh, pastor of congregational care a few years ago here at Butler First Church in all of the campuses. And uh, it is just good to be back in your midst. It's good to be back in worship with you. I just appreciate the invitation Pastor David gave me. Would I know Paula offered a beautiful prayer, but would you just bow your head again with me for a moment. Oh, Lord Jesus, you have gathered us in this place. Lord, we just pray that through every word that is sung, every word that is spoken, every word that is thought, you would be the filter that would allow us to understand and hear who you are and and what you desire of us so that we can be your good and faithful servants not just in this moment but in all the moments of our lives we pray this in the name of christ jesus amen so uh, i would guess that although some of you know me there's only one person in this sanctuary who knows that i am a vivid dreamer and it is my husband john stork he sits in the back Today. And uh, I, he could tell you that more mornings than he cares to remember, I wake up and I tell him about the details of my dreams. You see, I'm a vivid dreamer and I've dreamt, I remember my dreams. Uh, I've remembered them all of my life. And uh, today I want to share one of the very earliest dreams I ever remember having. I was a little girl and I dreamt that. I was in heaven and heaven was beautiful as far as I could see the surface of heaven was covered in what looked like white billowy clouds you know the kind of cumulus clouds you see in a, a bright blue sky and not only that but I could see that there were tulips and these tulips. I can still see the bright green foliage and I can see the beautiful red flowers and as In this dream, as I walked through heaven, I was looking around, and I realized that I was the only one there. And in my little girl mind, I thought, well, if this is what heaven's like, I don't think I want to stay here forever because it will be too boring. Well, the dreams of little girls, huh? Well, I want you to compare that little girl dream I had of heaven with the experience Isaiah had in his divine revelation. I guarantee you there was nothing boring in Isaiah's revelation. And I also guarantee you that it is far more accurate than any dream a little girl could imagine. So what happens with Isaiah? In an instant, he looks up and he sees God high and exalted. And he sees the seraphim flying around God. And he realizes God is so all-encompassing that just the hem of his robe filled the entire temple area. And Isaiah sees the seraphim flying around God. Old Testament theology says that seraphim were angels whose sole purpose for existing was to glorify God in thanksgiving and in praise. And, And they tell us that because these angels spend all of their existence in the perfect presence of God's perfect love, they take on a fiery glow. And they're giant, and they have six wings, and, and they're calling back and forth to each other. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Heaven and earth are full of his glory. And the cacophony of that angelic praise is so loud that the very foundations of the temple shake. And. All of the atmosphere is permeated with the holy smoke that came from the altar burning before God. You see, Isaiah encountered the Lord of creation, and in an instant, his life is changed forever. That's the title of this sermon today, Life Changes in an Instant. I just finished reading a book by Joan Didion entitled The Year of Magical Thinking and this book is an autobiographical account of her journey through grief following the year her husband died she she uses this phrase a lot you know one instant i was this and the next instant i was that one instant this was true and in the next instant that is true we've all experienced this right in one one second you Think and believe and know this, and in another second, everything has changed. That's what happened to Isaiah. In an instant, he churned from a man of unclean lips, and in the very next instant, he is God's own prophet. So I'm going to look at this account uh, with, from Isaiah chapter 6, and I want to do it through a good old-fashioned three-point sermon. But before we do this, I want you to remember something. Uh, this This account isn't only given to us so that we can remember how great and blessed Isaiah was. It's not given so we can have an account and a recording of all the great things he accomplished and all of his abysmal failures because that's included in the book of Isaiah. And that's important for us to know and understand But I believe that this passage is given to us because it is a model that God uses for each of us to grow in love and service of the Lord. You can look at many different call stories and instances, moments when God broke into the human context and see that the three points we're going to talk about today are in play. The first point I want to make is that God speaks into your context. Context is important. You would define context as all the circumstances that frame an event, personal, spiritual, and historical. And in the very first passage of this scripture, we have the setting of the context. In the year King Hosea died, Uzziah died, I looked up and saw God high and exalted. So the spiritual context is God. God is high and exalted, and yet he has broken into the human realm. The truth is, God is in every second of every moment that each of us live. The second thing we have is the historical context. King Uzziah has died. Well, who was King Uzziah? Uzziah was king of Judah, the southern kingdom, the the kingdom that uh, contained Jerusalem and the Holy Temple, which is where Isaiah's ministry unfolds in the future. King Uzziah ruled in the 8th century B.C. And what we know about that time in history is that God's people had drifted very far from God. It's a time of, um, of political corruptness, of uh, spiritual heresy and arrogance. It's a time of economic injustice. It's a time of great strife. Not so very different from the times we're living in today. In that context, in that historical context, God decided to move, and he chose Isaiah. Well, now we have to consider who Isaiah is because that's the personal context. Some scholars say Isaiah was a priest because this revelation took place within the walls of the temple. And other scholars say, no, he wasn't a priest. He was of noble birth or royal birth because Isaiah, as you read through this whole book, had access to all the movers and shakers of that day. I say Isaiah was a human being created by God to love and serve the Lord. God spoke into Isaiah's context. So no matter who he was before that instant, he was forever changed after it. One of the commentaries I read said, Summoned to the throne of God and surrounded by the awe and terror of the Lord, Isaiah is struck with the realization of his own unworthiness. That tells me it really doesn't matter how high or how low you are on the scale of human worthiness. What matters is that you are a child of God, and God will break into the context of your life and change everything. Sometimes it's in a a mysterious and otherworldly way, as with Isaiah. But honestly, quite often, it's in a more quiet and gentle way. Uh, As I was preparing, I thought of the Ethiopian eunuch we find in the book of Acts chapter 8. This eunuch goes to Jerusalem from Ethiopia. And while he's in worship, or while he's in Jerusalem, we're told he worships. Whatever business he had in Jerusalem is done, and he's on his way back to Ethiopia, and he's sitting alongside the road in his chariot. At the same time, God breaks into the context of Philip's life. Philip is an evangelist. He's a believer, and he has the gift of being able to take the truth of the gospel message and explain it to people who haven't yet heard it or don't quite understand it. And God tells Philip to go to this place. Philip is standing beside the Ethiopian's chariot, and he hears the Ethiopian reading. He's reading, incidentally, from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. And Philip says to the Ethiopian, Hey, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, How can I unless someone explains it to me? He invites Philip to come up into his chariot, and he, uh, Philip explains all about Christ's miraculous birth. He explains about Christ's life and his teaching. He explains how Christ suffered and died and was buried and how he raised from the dead and ascended into heaven to free all of humanity from sin in the grip of death. The Ethiopian, they're traveling along and the Ethiopian says, hey, here's some water. Can I be baptized? And Philip says, well, why not? He baptizes the Ethiopian and he goes on his way. No longer only a treasurer for the king. He goes on his way, saved by Christ. Presumably to take the gospel message to people who hadn't yet heard or didn't understand it yet. God broke into life, and in an instant, everything changed, not for the whole world, but for those people. And that leads me to the second point. You can best hear and understand God through an attitude of worship. <laughs> worship is vitally important. It isn't simply knowing about God It's about knowing God. It's about being in relationship with God. It's about communing with God. I can best illustrate this with a story from my own life. Many years ago I was acquainted with a gentleman and I would say this gentleman was a quasi-famous theologian. He had authored many books. He was invited to lecture around the world. He could quote chapter and verse from both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And he could tell you what all of the great theological thinkers and scholars had written, and he could compare and contrast them with one another. He really knew a lot. But this man could also cut you to the quick and tell you how inadequate and incomplete and and unsatisfactory your views about God were. You see, he knew a lot about God, but he didn't demonstrate any of the attributes of Christ. He wasn't gentle or kind or patient. He was what I thought of as a theological bully. But I learned a lot from him. And uh, in an instant, God broke into his life, and he was forever changed. He's going about his business, telling everyone how, much he knows about God, and uh, he gets diagnosed with cancer. And, and through the course of his treatment, it went really bad for him, and he nearly died. I would venture to guess he had a near-death experience, although he never told me that. <laughs> so after he recovered, and after his lengthy leave of absence, he came back, and I was able to have lunch with him. And And in the course of our conversation, I was like, wow, you have really changed. Can you tell me about that? And he said, I'll never forget what he said. He said, before I was sick, I knew about God. But now I know God. You see, his whole life was built on the acquisition of knowledge about God. It's kind of how we idolize celebrities today. We know where they were born and who they're married to and how many kids they have and, and what their favorite snacks are and where they vacation and what their hobbies are. You see, we know a lot about these celebrities, but we really don't know who they are. That's how this man knew God, but in an instant, He was forever changed when in that moment of illness, God broke into the context of his life and showed him a better way, a way of worship. He realized that it wasn't knowledge about God that mattered. It was worship of and relationship with God that mattered. Worship is important. Worship is focusing your time and attention on the Lord. It is proclaiming God's place of honor in your life through prayer and praise and thanksgiving. And it is listening and moving in relation to the direction God gives you for your life. You see, once this gentleman began to worship God, all that knowledge he held that was influential and powerful for him became a blessing that he could use to teach other about God's saving grace in Jesus Christ. In my opinion, he became not just a great theologian, but a more complete person, a person whose life was pleasing to God. And that brings me to the third point. It is impossible to hear and understand God without being changed, right? Isaiah encounters God, high and exalted, and is transformed. He sees himself who he is. Oh, woe to me, I am a man of unclean lips, living amidst the people of unclean lips. In that moment, in the presence of God's glory, he understands who he is. Lost, unworthy, and unclean. Not at all God material. In this account, suddenly one of the seraphim gets, gets a set of tongs and reaches into the fiery altar burning before God and pulls out a living coal, a burning ember. And the seraph flies all the way down to Isaiah and he touches that living coal to Isaiah's lips. And the seraph says, now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed. Your sin is blotted out. In that instant, Isaiah learned of God's inexhaustible forgiveness and God's unconditional love. Whoever he was before that instant, in the next instant, He was forever changed. In verse 8, for the first time, we hear that Isaiah reports hearing God's voice. God says, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? I think it's really interesting that God doesn't direct this question to Isaiah. He doesn't command Isaiah to go and serve. He directs it generally to the heavenly host. Isaiah is just a bystander. He's just an observer. And yet in the presence of God's grace, touched by the love and forgiveness of God, he can't help but step up and say, here am I, send me. In a space of worship, encountering God's greatness, God's love, God's glory, Isaiah is drawn into service. In that instant, Isaiah took a leap of faith a leap of faith that forever changed his life from encountering and worshiping God and hearing and understanding what God desired from his life. So those are the three points. It's not rocket science, but it is a commitment to being in relationship with God. Right? God spoke into Isaiah's context. God was the primary mover. Isaiah heard and understood God in in an attitude of worship, and Isaiah could not hear and understand God without forever being changed. Isaiah was no longer a man of unclean lips. Redeemed by God's grace, he set off on a course to preach God's truth to God's people. Oh, he met with stiff resistance, he had lots of failures. He had lots of successes, but whatever the costs were for committing to living within the will of God for his life, I have to believe the blessings far outweighed the cost. God's call to Isaiah is a great model for each of us to use as we grow in service and love to the Lord. Just as Isaiah had a choice to participate, so do each of us. In an attitude of worship, I ask, will you hear and respond to God's call in your life? Whether it's for great and giant and, and amazing things, or, for it, or whether it's for little and quiet and, and obedient acts of service and love. The question God asks of each of us, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? The choice is yours. My prayer is that, like Isaiah, you will respond by saying, Here I am, Lord, send me. Amen.